Marina, welcome to the podcast. Nice to have you on. Uh, we met, um, I reckon it was probably, we were just talking about it, but I reckon it was probably about four years ago. Business Showcase Southwest, which is a good friend of mine, Jamie Breeze's event in Bristol, um, uh, where it was, I was really fortunate to speak. Was it the one where I was doing a talk? Um, I was think it was the one after. I think you said you did the talk the previous year. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah, it was a great event and I made a lot of connections, which actually a little bit like this, we didn't speak for ages. And then all of a sudden we bumped into each other or we spoke on a podcast or we went to an event. Um, and it was like, oh yeah, I met you at Business Showcase. So what, um, what a great impact that had on the, on the journey. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. So I thought um, it'd be great to catch up with you again. Nice to have another creative on the podcast, someone in branding and design and, and understands that world. Uh, I've noticed that you've gone through a bit of a change over the last couple of years and you've moved into, um, we've just been talking about coaches and consultants, although it pretty much applies to, to everyone. So I thought it'd be really interesting to dig in. But first, a little bit about yourself. You Are you from Austria? Do I? Yes, yes. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it was... Uh, somewhere around there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah lucky look, 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 uh yeah austria so tell us a bit about yourself marina um a little bit of background it'd be interesting to know and then what you're doing for coaches and consultants now and then we'll get into it yeah um hello everyone <clears throat> pardon me my voice hasn't woken up yet so um uh, yes, born and, and raised in Austria, um, went to design university over there, and um, then I've always wanted to come to the UK, it's one of those things, um, my mum was an English teacher, and she always used to bring books home, and then DVDs came out, and there were these magical things that you could watch in English, but still have the subtitles, and you know, that, that was like the coolest thing, um, yeah, and um, I came to Portsmouth in Blimey, 2007, that's a long time ago. And then initially just for a year, you know, as you do. Yeah, always, <laughs> um, it was a year. Spoiler, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I strangely liked it. This country that people used to tell me, oh, it rains there all the time and the food is awful. Uh, which is basically when it's not about the Queen or Stonehenge or football, that's what like, the world knows about Britain is that it rains a lot and the food doesn't taste of anything. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I do strangely enjoy it here. And you came, um, you came over on your own, did you? Was it with family? Yeah, I did. Yeah, wow. And uh, was was there any like specific point or or? any specific reason that you did? I know you mentioned it was just because of, you've always wanted to come to the UK, but what, what kind of drew you here? Apart um, from the rain and the bad food. And <laughs> so it was for a specific degree. Um, I'd done interior design as um, a BA. And then out of that really got into um, the historic side of things, the how, how does style it develop? How do we look after? Um, older things and um, in Austria you can only do building conservation as part of an architecture degree or after having done art history so it's kind of a you do something and then you specialize there wasn't a master's just for that and all I wanted to do was kind of dig deeper into that a little bit um, and Portsmouth Uni offered a master's in historic building conservation and, and that caught my eye and I thought you know for a year let's just do that and, and see what it's like um, and then I got stuck doing a PhD, talk about, you know, a linear career paths. 
And um, but one thing that's never left me was that that creative side that's always been really strong. And that during my interior design degree, we were in a very, very new university. So it was a college before and it just became a university that year I started. And we had one group of interior designers and one group of graphic designers that started. Mm-hmm. And we were basically doing at least a third of the curriculum together. So not just did I come out with a good grounding in how do you build something and how do you, you know, look after 3D spaces, but it also gave me a really good appreciation for things like color theory and a bit of typesetting and a bit of InDesign. <laughs> like what was how, how do you lay out a poster and things like that. Um, and that was that was, I suppose, my formal grounding but then having done you know I then got into doing the PhD came out of a PhD assuming somewhat naively that um, the world was now waiting for me and that they were going to give me uh, a job in in architectural conservation and that was just off the back of you know 2008-2009 there weren't no jobs especially not for somebody with zero work experience um so I went to Salisbury and I did uh, an internship on the cathedral um so I was I was doing stone restoration on the cathedral for a few months which is physically physically I was up on the scaffold we were like repairing it was absolutely phenomenal I mean it was cold what does that involve what what kind Um, of work is that so the the stone weathers over time so it degrades the masons then, um, and especially in, in Salisbury, they have um, the major repairs program, which has been running for 20 years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what they're doing is the cathedral is um, 700 years old. So they're doing a once over, giving it a complete, as best as we can repair now, so that it'll ideally last another 700. That, that's kind of the idea. We probably won't get there because um, the original builders were a bit more clever than actually we are but the the point is the stone degrades and some stones are too far gone to be repaired so they have to be taken out and the masons then put a new one in but the new carving is complete and the the stone next to it where the carving kind of butts on is often weathered away so the stone conservator would then repair the old stone so it fits in shape and then the profile into the the new stone so it's a bit of sculpting it's a bit of stone masonry it's it's a bit of plastering it's all kind of mixed together um <laughs> and you're up seven several hundred feet in the air in the wind in the rain with the chisel and and you're kind of doing that it was amazing i loved it's it fascinating yeah I, do you know what i reckon there's a little group of geeks somewhere that would love this conversation oh yeah oh yeah so- <laughs> is their thing you know there's always a there's always a little pocket niche of something uh, something really specific and I feel like that's one of them yeah I was it was so cool and I kept going back you know just for an hour and hour a day for I think two (laughs) or three years thereafter take a pack lunch off a scaffold yeah I I just kept bringing them up and say can I can I just come in again next week because I love it and they're like yeah sure but the point was there was no money in it nobody paid me for that internship so I had to find something else um, and through like sheer good fortune, I bumped into this guy who was an entrepreneur, had three businesses, it was winding down two of them, and he needed a bit of help. And we just 
kind of hit it off and and within you know months we were doing all sorts of crazy crazy things together that then led into me being self-employed and and me setting up my own design initially just design sort of graphic design um business and then gradually morphing much much more into brand development um strategic messaging how do you present yourself how do you how do you tell the world why they should be buying from you in a way that's not icky yeah uh I think that's what we're going to dig into in this podcast, the kind of process you go through to draw this magic out of people and, and actually put it into a form that people understand and people can connect with. Um, one, one of the things that you said there that I, I do want to just revert back to is this guy that you bumped into, the entrepreneur had a couple of business winding down. I, I often tell people that design is my skill, but it's not actually what makes me valuable. And, you know, you, t- you also said about uh, a linear kind of career path for me to go from uh, financial services for 10 years and running mortgage and insurance broker to being a designer, um, that was a very strange leap for some people to to understand. Um, but actually, it's all the experience I gained in building the businesses and uh, and being in a different industry and having to be commercial and dealing with clients and all those things. That actually makes me more valuable as a designer now, I think. And I feel like that it, it's um, it's probably been the same for you having this experience and taking it through to then becoming a designer and developing brands and and that kind of thing. So what I'm I'm interested to know what did you do for the entrepreneur? What was the uh, what was your role in that? And what experience did you take that you now use in your in your current business? Yeah, I mean I completely agree with everything you say there. Couldn't agree more. In fact. Um, because it is those extra bits of understanding about the real world and how business works and how commerce works and um, that allow you to turn design into something that is actually functional. Um, because we're not artists, we're not we're there to answer questions, not ask them of the world in 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 many ways. Um, and to be able to see, you know, financial reasons for doing something or um, marketing reasons for doing something or purely just uh, how, how do we position ourselves um, and having seen the difference from, from one environment to another, I think that that does make you more valuable because you're a more rounded individual and you actually don't just, just do design. You see where the points where the design bridges into other functions of the business. Yeah. Yeah, so what did we do? Um, it started out with um, selling imaging software, so really, really highly technical imaging software to um, Rolls-Royce Aerospace and BP and, and places like that, to which they're used for failure investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. Really, really crash course introduction into how to deal with corporates. I have never been employed before a day in my life up to that point and then immediately into corporates. Everything takes a little bit longer. (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, And then that was one of the businesses that was winding down. So we then started... um, uh, We started procurement. So um, we had a contact in China who was making oak flooring and they wanted to import the oak flooring into... 
Europe, but they needed French oak. So I speak a bit of French. My partner spoke a bit of French. So we went to France for a couple of years and went around all the forests and tried to buy up oak to, to export to China. So that was, that was different once again. <laughs> and it kind of, it, he's just one of those guys that will, if there's an idea and there's an opportunity, he will just go for it and, and see if it works doesn't need the money. So, you know, he's, he's just playing in the business fields and some things come off and some things don't. And some of the really valuable things I've learned from that was to just let things develop and go with your gut a little bit. And the value of building relationships with people, actually sitting down, talking to them, you know, being, being a person rather than a voice on the phone. Um, and I think that's, that's incredibly valuable. Um, but it was it was difficult for me being Austrian. Um, we like a plan. We like things to be neatly structured. Um, you know, if you say I'm going to be there at eight o'clock tomorrow morning, I will be there a quarter to eight at the very latest, and everything will be neatly. Run, and we always had a plan. And then Anthony comes along, and he has like six plans going at any given time. And depending on when the phone rang and what it said, we would just shuffle plans. And it used to drive me absolutely bananas. Yeah. <laughs> You gotta play by ear, Marina. Okay. Well, I learned that. It's it's um it's a good skill to have, I would say, as a self-employed person. Yeah, I, I love that. a lot of the businesses I deal with are startups that are either just about to get funding or they've just been funded. And you have to imagine the dynamic that that gives a business, uh, uh, especially an entrepreneur at the C at the C-suite level that has a small team that's about to grow it 10 times, <laughs> 10 times what it is at the moment and the what the original idea was for the business and how that evolves over the next year as they get funding and they start throwing money at stuff and testing things and trying things out. It's absolute chaos. So for you to almost plug into that as a designer or someone dealing with the brand management or whatever it might be, oh my God, it's a roller coaster. You have to really be prepared for whatever decision comes tomorrow because it will probably take the whole business in a different direction sometimes and you have to be ready for it. Uh, so trying to manage a brand in that sense is an absolute nightmare, but um, equally just as exciting. <laughs> and that's kind of what, what, that's the thrill they get out of it. And it, you know, if you can handle that as well, then you get to feel a little bit of that adrenaline rush as well. Um, I guess that's why I really enjoy it, but sometimes need a really long break from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what a privilege to be part of the journey. I've worked with a few startups as well, and you kind of see them growing from, I don't even know how to talk about this thing, yeah. through to you know being invited to shows and then actually getting the funding. And it's, it is incredibly rewarding yeah. and helping them figuring it out as they go along. Yeah, you see, I'm a little bit more every time do something. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's a great, great feeling. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, coaches, consultants, trainers, therapists. We've uh, we've all worked with them. They are there are more of them than ever now. I think now that we've uh, seen you know a lot of redundancies, a lot of career changes, a lot of behaviour changes that makes people want to try something new. <laughs> Or, or go out on their own, um, for want of a better phrase. Uh, so there's, so I think we constantly see 
um, this kind of role come up. But it's really hard to see the value in them because they all sound the same. They all kind of seem to be talking about the same thing and have the same solutions and um you might actually might have worked them more than with them more than me so i'm interested to dig into this process and this ha this way that you draw things out of people and then to communicate it to the world because um one of the i think most common things that people say to to you and me is uh, i've got all this stuff in my head i just i can't get it out and on paper so what for those coaches, consultants, and those people that may be watching or listening to this, let's start right from the beginning. What do you, where do you start with these people to take them through that journey? Um, so I would always start with the story of where, where does this desire come from to do this kind of work? Because very often I find that they've had their own transformational experience, either at the hand of another coach, consultant, therapist, often therapists have, have had the same problem in the past and have gone through um, therapy with somebody who has really been able to help them and then decided that that was so transformational for them that they wanted to do that um, for their life as, as well. And, and this is kind of then for me, well, this is your niche right there because this is what you know best. This is your complete angle on this that nobody else has. Um, and then we're talking about, you know, the current work that they're doing and, and we're kind of just getting to know the situation because it's not just about where you are, but it's about where you want to be, where your aspirations are, um, who the sort of people are that you draw inspiration from, what about their work speaks to you, um, what things in the industry really, really annoy you that you don't want to do or that you specifically have set out not to do. Um, <laughs> That's equally as important as the, the good stuff, right? Because I've noticed this before. Uh, I've had conversations where the good stuff has fallen a bit flat and I'm like, there's no real hook for me to get anything from. Mm. And I've had to say, can you tell me some bad stuff? Like, can you, can you give me some bad customer reviews or tell me what you hate about the industry or something? Because I'm not getting anything from this. So the, sometimes the negative pieces of the puzzle or the story actually help much better than the, than the good stuff right yeah because some brands are built on you know i give you this aspirational thing that you want and other brands are i'm helping you not have this pain mm -hmm. and actually in in an industry in any given industry there are plenty of people who turn around and say i can no longer do this and and work under these circumstances i have to go at my own and change that because that is I mean, I've, I've had one client that said to me, this is actually, you know, borderline criminal what we're doing to these people. And yet I'm in the system and I can't do anything about it. Yeah. So she's, she's set out on her own. Um, and it will be, you know, for, for some people, this is very clear. And, and for others, it's much more about um, what the, the, the transformation that they want people to have. And then, but within that, there are so many different flavors as well. I mean, especially coaches, um there are business coaches and their life coaches and their breakthrough coaches and resilience coaches and you know and you kind of go well what does that mean what does it mean to you what what do you expect people to get out of it who do you want to talk to um what is the pain point that they're having and, and i mean this is classic messaging stuff um but i feel like 
if you let people just write the brief, they will not get as deep as that. They will just say, oh, I like this. Can we do a bit of that? That's what I want. And it's sometimes not even a page. And then me as the designer gets to sit there and go, well, now I, I give you an identity. And to me, that feels really, really the wrong way around because it's not me that's got anything to do with your identity. I'm just the pen that draws it at the end of the day. So the consultative process of just getting things out of your head and me writing them down and then reading between the lines and then saying, is, is this what you mean? Is, is that the angle that you wanna go down? So it's, it's about messaging and about audience and um, you know about the offer as well. What is it that you're trying to do? Can we maybe target it better? Can we niche it better? Can we be a bit more focused about audience? Um, the more specific you can be, the easier it will be to actually explain to people what it is that you can do for them. So that's a, that's an interesting part of it. The, there's a lot of, and I think there has been a lot of talk about niching and stuff for, mm. for a very long time. And I get the feeling, or it's certainly something that I've experienced, that people are moving away from niching in terms of industry or what they do. And they're, they're much more focused on solving a particular problem. And yeah. that their niche uh, have yeah. you seen a similar thing yes absolutely i mean i've had i've worked with one client a couple of years ago and um she does uh financial services you know financial planner and they're a bit like coaches there are more financial planners at any given networking meeting <laughs> than any other single occupation yeah um and it's the same thing so okay there's there's a label but what does that mean for me and she works with women, but she works specifically with women at, at or just after divorce. So there is this life event that creates a lot of anxiety in her clients about you know future-proofing the home, the looking after the children, the pension, all these things. And of course, financial decisions are often, unfortunately, not traditionally taken by the woman or looked after by the woman in, in any given relationship. Mm -hmm. So she's found this real um pain point for lots and lots of people where it's not about how old you are or how much you earn or you know what your previous profession was or where you live in the country but it's about the life event that becomes the niche so there are lots of different ways of looking at it you know it, it could be um if you're a coach that it could be for people who just lost their job and now need to retrain or it could be about um, coming back from having been a mother, re-engaging with the workforce or setting out on your own or, you know, taking you from the 100,000 to the first million or whatever it is within the coaching space, there will be um, a, a specific thing that you are good at, that you are interested in, that aligns with your personal values and your family and your lifestyle and the way you see the world. Um, but then also for me, it goes a lot deeper than that, because the only secret sauce in coaching, really, unless you're part of this you know, amazing program that you've bought into and nobody else can offer, most of, uh, more often than not, the secret sauce in coaching is you. So you, the individual, you, the coach, the, the reason why people come to you is because of your personality and your work ethics and you know the, the, your energy in it and the way you approach things um, 
and whether people can vibe with you. And I'm, this is starting to then sound a bit woo-woo in the sense that you have to have this energy with your clients because you will get to know them really, really well. You will spend a long time with them. They will tell you potentially some very intimate things and you will have this, this very special relationship. And I think that your clients, when they're at the stage when they need help, they deserve to see from you up front, from your brand, from the way you present yourself, a little bit of a flavor of what they're about to get. And so for me, brand communicates in, in every single way, not just in what you say, um, but colors, you know, there's a whole thing called color psychology. So um, the colors we look at evoke certain emotions. If we align that to your personality type and how you would like people to feel when they come into your program, then this is a, a, a gut feeling that people get about you that will just say to them, yes, this is for me, and yes, I'm in the right place here, or no, I'm not. And then there will be somebody else for them that fits them better. Um, it's about shapes. Um, uh, I mean, you, you know this as much as I did, Danny. Uh, a sharp corner gives you a different feeling than a smooth edge, something round, something. But when we, we then, it gets a bit metaphysical when I talk to my clients because it's about, you know, close your eyes and, and tell me what time, if, if your brand had to be a time of day, what time of the day would it be? What does it smell like? Um, if, if you could run your hand over it, what would it feel? Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it, you know, what does the surface feel like? And that sounds weird to somebody answering, answering the question, but to me, it just gives me another little piece of the puzzle of this is how you feel about your business. This is how you feel about your offer. Um, and with service brands, um, it's different to product brands because a product I need to be able to put on a shelf and it needs to, to some degree, sell itself while it sits on the shelf. Um, uh, service will always involve you as the service provider. So it has to be right for you first. And then we will find you clients that this resonates with. So that then automatically attracts the right kind of person mm -hmm. rather than making the brand just about the, the client, the consumer. Because without the consultant, without the coach in the middle, there is no brand. They are the brand. Do you, do you think that's different for companies where really the primary um, the primary goal is to create something that attracts a certain type of customer or a certain type of uh, client into the business. You kind of switch it around and put them first before you because there's like a, a, a company name in front of it or a, a, a logo in front of it or whatever. Do you think that's true? That it's normally the other way around if it's business rather than a personal kind of brand? Yes. So for the, for the kind of people that I work with, um, they are often very personality driven and they want not necessarily that themselves to be the face of it, but they know that without them, there is no brand. They might have a VA, they might have an assistant, they might have a small team, but it's really about them. Um, the bigger your, your team gets or the more product orientated you are, it goes from being about the individual and about being, um, but when I say personality driven, that's not true either. So it's it's less about 
the one person and more about the idea, but then you have to be even more specific. And you'll know this working with startups. The more people are involved, the, the sharper you have to be on your brand personality, on your messaging, on your what we do and what we don't do. Because the more people talk about it, they all have to talk about it in the same way. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> and someone will say something that sounds different on the other end. Yeah. The input and output is completely different. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And how, how um, we said before, like it's uh, this common thing about people not being able to take what they have in their head and, and put it onto to paper. And a lot of this, you know, it's really clear that, you know, there's, a, there's visual stuff that goes into a brand, but actually you can't really do anything unless you've done this stuff that we've just been talking about beforehand and understanding the personality of the brand and where it all comes from. Um, what do you do to then try and translate that? You know, we spoke about colour already, shapes. There's a mm -hmm. great book I read and I forgot the name of it because the word is so long and I'm not very uh, literate. Um, but it's the, it's the science of shapes as they relate to our, our not just our psychology, but our um, upbringing and our childhood. Mm. And she talks about um, if she was to say, what colour's an apple? The majority of people would say red. And it's because as a child, we've been taught things like the Adam and Eve story and Snow White and those kinds of things. And we have this picture in our head that an apple should be red. Now, of course, there are people that say green, but, but you know, for the most part, red is this colour that's stuck in our mind. So, uh, and we can use that in shapes. We can use the shape of an apple or, or the rounded edges and all those things. And they really, they resonate with certain parts of our brain, whether it's a child, childlike brain or an adult brain. Um, which I know a lot of coaches that see this will uh, understand that kind of terminology. Um, so, so how then do you get that into something visual uh, and that looks like it's together rather than separate pieces like colours and type and shapes and things? <laughs> what is, because that's like, that's almost our secret sauce, isn't it? Yes. Um, so th th that is the reason why you hire a professional because they've then spent a good day probably on and off over various sessions, getting to know you. And in the process, you've got to know yourself better as well. And you've got really clear on what, what about your idea? What about your business? What about your proposition is worth communicating in your 60 second pitch and which can you bring out later? Because there, you know, I, I have this values sheet, which is like a whole A4 piece of, if you had to choose between, you know, being really charitable or being really um, profitable, if you had, both are good, but if you had to make a decision, where would you lean? And it then gives me a really um, good indication over where people feel really strongly about and other things that, might not matter so much to them. So where, where we are really on the edge with those outliers, those are ones that we might want to mention in our messaging. Mm -hmm. um, we do a personalities exercise, which is two pages worth of personality attributes and they have to narrow it down to five. And they find it really, really hard. And I kind of then help them narrow it down, um, looking at categories. Some will be about um, you know, process and some will be about how does this feel? Um, and some will be about how you want to make people feel. Um, and I collate all of that. We then, um, I come up with a mood board, which is my 
oh, let's go on Pinterest and try not to get into too deep a rabbit hole. Because <laughs> Pinterest is brilliant for that. Um, but that's exactly what, it, what it's made for. Um, so we, I then look at all the things you've talked about, all those words that you've mentioned, those concepts, the, you know, the, the time of the day and how it feels and what it represents and how you want to be seen and, um, you know, the, the aspirational identity as well. And how do we want to make people feel and what is their transformation? And I then interpret that and look for photographs and images um, that, that represent that feeling that then gives us a, a sense of, I look at a page and there's lots and lots of pictures that might not necessarily go together, but they all give us this feeling of, oh yes, you know, that, that, that there is something here and, and we're starting to feel like this is, this is the vibe here. And I, um, I'm quite good at talking through those with my clients of explaining why they're there and, and why my interpretation of this image has, you know, why it's made it onto the page. And then once we've got to that point, we have an understanding. We know that we're both after the same thing so that it works for both of us. And then from there, I usually there's colors, a color suggestion from me already on the mood board that comes from um, the personalities exercise because personality types, color psychology is often very, very closely linked. Yeah. Yeah. Enough, it's often includes somebody's favorite color because it is our favorite color because our personality is drawn to it. So, um, do you know, <laughs> I, I, don't think I have a favorite color. I'm not sure either. I mean, this orange is obviously a bit of a statement color, but yeah, I, I sometimes I'm I'm a fan of turquoise, but like a favorite color, I almost think that's a weird concept. <laughs> like then, I think it's I'm just greedy. I like all the colors. Yeah, I like all the colors. Yeah, and all yeah. the different tones. And, and like, yeah. <laughs> And, and you can like one color in a combination with another, but not by itself. So it's like. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, even sticking with the turquoise thing, you know, turquoise and brown is a great combo, uh, but brown? Well, no. <laughs> it says me, who probably, if you look behind me, is full of brown, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, in some ways, the process is really methodical and always has the same steps. But in there is also, unfortunately, this alchemy that I cannot for the life of me explain, which is probably what other people would say, my zone of genius, where I kind of look at the person and we've looked at everything we've, we've been talking about and I can just, I just know what they're about. I just know, I, I, yeah. I can feel that. And you know, my, my practice over the last five years has been to turn that knowledge, that understanding into um, a, a visual expression. And often because the process is so involved and there's a sign off at every stage and the client feels really, really involved in that journey. Um, <clears throat> I don't have to do six rounds of logo sketches. I, I do two, I do maybe three because by then we already know it's going to be these colors. We know it's going to be round and fluid and it's going to be about this theme. Um, the thing I spend the longest on is picking a font. 
Like how much time do we people sink into picking fonts is just unreal. To somebody uh, uh, who doesn't do that for a living, you have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> time sense. You, anyone who's or listening to either thinking about rebrand or thinking about branding in some sense, or especially from a visual perspective, um, and you're worried about the investment or the cost of doing it, uh, if we added time looking through fonts, you'd be screwed. Like the price would be ridiculous. <laughs> it would be through the roof because not only, you know, do we have good data banks, but sometimes the, the standard Adobe data bank or something, it doesn't give you what you need. And then you're down the proper rabbit hole into like all these free fonts and custom fonts and like yeah, yeah, yeah. weird stuff. <laughs> Oh, and if and if you go down the rabbit hole of creating <laughs> your own font, if it's you know appropriate. Oh no, thank you. I am not going there. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's all really fun stuff. It's just really time consuming, and you know you have to be really set on the the goal of having that. If if that's the case, yeah. And I completely get you with the with the mood board thing. I think that's been uh, the single most powerful most efficient way of creating a brand yeah and I, I i really got the, a similar feeling to you when you're talking about it that if you do this first there's a there's really very little room for error there's this this feeling and i, I kind of get guess that what you were saying is similar to similar to me where you almost want to get so involved in someone's business or someone's idea of their their brand and what they stand for that you can go and create it as if it was your own yes you, you, yeah that's basically I, I think that is the secret of um of dealing with a professional is that you you get this person that doesn't take a shareholding doesn't you know it doesn't impede on your business as such but can sit in your business and learn it so much and and embody the beliefs and everything else that they can go away and translate that for you um yeah i think i think that's the secret actually yeah i mean while while i'm working with somebody during the project <clears throat> whatever my client puts out you know to to me is we put that out yeah. i speak actively as this is what we want i feel like i'm part of their business in that sense and that's that's a fantastic privilege i mean i get to learn so many different things about so many different industries because people come and they tell me everything about what works and what doesn't work and what they want and what they want to change so yeah that's that's fantastic but i think you're absolutely right um and if somebody's listening who is thinking about hiring somebody you need to really find yourself somebody who's willing to put that time in to really get to know you and if somebody, I, I think the alarm bells for me would go off if I gave somebody a brief and they wouldn't even ask me a question. Mm -hmm. Because that's somebody who's interested in taking your money and doing a quick project um, and not necessarily interested in giving you exactly what you need and something yeah. that is personal to you and that is unique. Um, that That is a, what I would describe as like a, do you want fries with that logo? Like, yeah. it's taking orders and... Yeah, doing it that way. <laughs> and um, you know, you you might think hiring a designer is means that you automatically get something unique. Um, it's not quite like that. The, there is a whole industry out there that makes stock graphics 
for the use of other designers and that's their job and it's to us it's a brilliant help but you can equally i can i can buy a, the rights to a logo for 20 quid and sell it on to you for 200 and all you've got is the same thing as everybody else's that's bought yeah. that and you wouldn't know so there is a due diligence part on behalf of your designer and, and this is where the price difference often comes in in that we will really spend time making it from scratch for you, making sure it's unlike anything else. Mm -hmm. So you then don't get into um, identity disputes or trademark disputes later down the line when you've stuck it on everything and it's out there. I love, uh, I really look up to Aaron Draplin. Um, for those who watch or listen to this podcast, um, I've mentioned him a few times, Aaron Draplin, guy from Portland who designed the Obama logo for his campaign and works with people like Patagonia. And if you looked at him, you, he's just a, he's a big guy with a trucker cap and a beard. And uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting him and spending some time with him. And uh, one thing that he constantly tells designers is vectors are free, which means like, you know, we, we can we can play with shapes and color and you know, we can come up with ideas and we can have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of logo concepts and they're all free. And yet someone else will go and spend 20 quid on a, uh, on a logo from a stock website. Um, whereas you can come up with something original for nothing, you know, as designers. Uh, and that's really the, I think that's really the pride in, in what we do is that we take something from nothing and we, take all of this information we've had and then we put it into a symbol that represents it. And it's free for us to explore whatever ideas come up. Yeah. You no need to go and buy them from somewhere else. You know, we can do them ourselves. We can have all these shapes and all these things. So yeah, really, um, uh, really admire him actually for that. And uh, he's taught me a great deal. Um, so what's, uh, what, one thing that I'm interested about is for personal brands like coaches, you know, once they've come up with something or once they've, uh, uh, once they understand a bit more about themselves and they've worked with someone like you to come up with their identity or come up with some kind of feeling, how, how is that, how does this get out into the world? Because I feel like a lot of people go through the process and then they just carry on as if nothing happens. Do you have any kind of tips or advice on how to then get your brand out into the world? Is there like a launch process you go through or anything like that? You know, I think um, something that some people really struggle with, the fact that there is, you know, you don't have to, but there is a, I don't know, there's, there's something nice about like launching something and, and making it a big deal that, you know, this is what you believe in and you want to tell people about it and it's a message you want to spread. Uh, and I think that's really inspiring, but I think people skip it sometimes and it's a real shame. Yeah, um, I have a launch checklist, which is really long, so, you know, to... To give to people to so they don't miss off anything where the old logo still exists and we need to put it on you know things like invoices yeah. or or <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you have a thousand different documents yeah, but this yeah. is that's more of a mechanical process and we do talk about you know how how do you now want to let people know um with a personal brand it's often it's often less of a launch and more of a, a gradual transformation because as soon as they see the logo, they want to use the logo. 
and then the website's not done yet and this isn't done and that isn't done and there's no like we're changing on the first of September and then from then on out there's this big event and from then on out is something else which you have to really do with a bigger business with a team you know when when there's official communication you have to set a date and from then on out it's different uh, with individuals for me it's much more about making sure that they understand um, their brand language the sort of the talking points the bits that they want to put into their pitch um, the things that we've come up in terms of brand voice brand message um, and I am there for them if they want me to, to do sort of strategic messaging touch-ups um, two, three, five months in just to see like this, you know, let them try it a little bit on their own because I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not their marketing person. I'm not there to look after things for them after we've done this together. And the idea is that they learn to look after it themselves. Um, but I do always offer to, you know, if, if you go and you buy yourself a website, you know, let me let me come in on this. I'm not even going to charge you. Let me just have a look at it and say, are these other creatives interpreting this brand the way we originally designed it? And, you know, mm -hmm. you will have the brand Bible and it will have everything in it. But the thing with creatives is you'll always get their interpretation of, of what you've told them. And the more you tell them, and this is where the brand Bible, I think, is important, the more you can tell them, um, the clearer that will be. Um, but yeah, there comes a point where I have to let go and they have to take it and run with it. Yeah, yeah amazing. Marina, it's been amazing to uh, speak to another creative on all of this stuff. And actually, it's probably good for listeners or, or viewers of this to hear someone else talk about it than me. So, <laughs> so it's actually been a real pleasure to uh, have a great conversation with you about, about something specific and you know about an audience that... I think we'll watch and, and listen to this. Um, can you give us a bit of an idea of where people can get hold of you, get in touch with you, connect with you, um, and anything you've got going on at the moment? Um, so uh, my business is called Apricity Studio, A-P-R-I-C-I-T-Y. Um, if you go to apricity.studio forward slash book or just onto the website, if you have any questions at all about design, about rebranding, about I'm not quite sure... Um, you know, there's a free clarity call, book yourself a call, we'll have a chat um, and, and we see where the next steps in your journey could be, whether that's with me or anyone else. Um, there is also, if you find me on LinkedIn, um, I have a uh, definitive guide to rebranding your coaching business, which is kind of like the clarity call, but just everything written down in 26 pages worth mm -hmm. of this is what you need to know about the process of rebranding and please don't spend your money on shit that you don't need. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I look forward to anybody who connects with me and um, if you need anything, please give me a shout, I'm here. And just, just before we wrap up, apricity, something to do with the weather. Uh, yes, apricity is, comes from the same Latin root as the word apricot and uh, apricot is basically warmed by the sun. So apricity is the, 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 an old English word for the warmth of the sun on a cold winter's day. Ah, I knew it was something to do with that. I've heard it said before. Yeah, interesting. Oh, good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's been great. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to maybe another chat soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Marina. Take care.